14 man Leinster produced an outstanding comeback to crush Ulster 38 29 in Dublin last night. Kane Healy was shown a red card in 21 minutes, and Ulster were up 22 3 after a good start with tries from Rob Herring, Kieran Treadwell, and Ethan McElroy. Everything seemed to be going Ulster's way, and we hashtag dared the dream as we approached the break. The second half was a different story, however. Leinster hit back with five tries, and our dreams were dashed. Ulster went down to 13 men in the second half when James Hume and Nick Timoney were showing yellow cards, and Leinster took full advantage. It's now nine wins from nine matches in this season's URC for Leinster, with Saturday night's victory stretching their lead at the top to nine points. I have to say this was a very difficult one to take. I was very much looking forward to texting Nathan something um, to wind him up after uh, a resounding Ulster win. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. <laughs> it was particularly disappointing, given it looked like the stars might align for Ulster. They were in control and cruising in Dublin, and to lose it from that position is truly gutting. And to make matters worse, Ulster are now fourth in the table. So anyway, to discuss uh, last night's game, I'm joined by Leinster fan Nathan Jones and Ulster fan Jack Fogarty. So, guys, welcome. And uh, do you enjoy that game last night? No. <laughs> Unsurprising, Jack. Unsurprising. <laughs> Nathan, from your perspective, um, was it an enjoyable game? And it was, I mean, tell us a bit about how Leinster managed to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. I was enjoying in the sense of, I don't know, you call me a Leinster fan these days, Peter, with work. I don't know if you, you can, I'm a, I'm a fan anymore. I watch so much <laughs> rugby from everyone. Like, I just, I just enjoy watching it at this stage. Um, I don't think I was too invested either way, but it was a heck of a game. That is for sure. And look, any time, what was it? Was What was the score at halftime? Was it 22-3? So anytime a side overturns a 19-point deficit or whatever it was uh, and comes away in a high-scoring game like that. So look, it's a fantastic game to watch. Lots of drama, lots of cards. We're going to talk about the cards that weren't, I'm sure. Uh, so I had everything. It was a fantastic game. Uh, what did Leinster do? Well, I mean... They stopped dropping the ball and attack in the second half. Well, for 35 minutes, they couldn't hold on to the ball. Uh, their breakdown was slow. Gibson Park service was really slow. They couldn't get their attack going at all. Uh, Ulster's defence, the goals to put them under a lot of pressure and uh, forced a lot of those mistakes. The one for the Ethan Mackwell try where McCluskey dislodges the ball from Jason Jenkins in contact springs to mind. Ulster were fantastic defensively for 35 minutes. Uh, but at the same time, Leicester were poor. A lot of errors out of contact. Uh, a lot of poor breakdown entries. Slow ball. Ulster got to disrupt massively. Gibson Park quickened up his service after half, uh, just before they got worked that mall try for, for Kelleher in the corner. Um, they had a good attacking period that led to that penalty. They held on to the ball and Andrew Porter coming on and winning two massive breakdown turnovers that gave them territory in the second half, gave them loads of momentum. And from there, they just, you know, they brought on their own bomb squad. I mean, you know, Doris, Furlong, Porter, Maloney coming on, changed that game up front. And to be honest with you, not even Furlong because Furlong didn't last that long. Al Alatoa finished that game. So, yeah, Leinster cleaned things up and their bench kind of had a massive impact and far more impact than Ulster's bench, which I think was always going to be the case looking at those two 23s that were named. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, before this game, I was saying that that's the strongest sort of Ulster squad I've seen in a while. So we've seen stronger Ulster teams, but in terms of the bench, we had uh, Vermeulen to come on, uh, Rob Herring, Stockdale, among others. And it looked pretty strong, but as you say, like, it was a ridiculous uh, wealth of talent on the Leinster bench and it made a huge difference. And we'll come to that, the bomb squad um, coming on, uh, Porter in particular making a huge impact. Some, some player just uh, just imposed himself on the game. 
So, Jack, if you're okay to talk about this, now, I feel a bit uh, wounded from last night as well. But from an Ulster perspective, what went wrong in that game? Deep breath. Um, yeah, what went wrong is, unfortunately, we were playing Leinster. Um, I think that's the sort of first point we should make is that, you know, you have to be just that extra couple of percent better than, you know, when you're when we're playing. You know, we played Zebra last week and with all the will in the world, we probably would have, you know, lost that game if we were playing maybe better quality position, uh, opposition. But in this game, like, it was just little little mistakes in that in that second half when we ha- actually when we had the ball that I thought um that's where we that's where we let things slip and we didn't keep the pressure on um we didn't keep the pressure on Leinster we didn't go out and score first we actually stopped the second half really well we we defend Leinster throw a loose ball we get a penalty we kick to the corner we get into 22 line out and we lose the line out and that's the first one. Okay, first one gone out the door. You're like, right, reset, go again. And we get we get maybe three, maybe four opportunities. We take one right at the end with the, the Sam Carter one, the Sam Carter try. By that point, the game's dead. Um, and you know that's just the you know the, the consolation. And that's where Leinster maybe just dropped off for a couple of percent at the very end of the game. But by that point, the work's done. So it was a real just missed opportunity of just attacking um, options, I think. And, you know, Doki came on maybe a little bit sooner than he would have or was expecting and made a couple of wee errors, not massive, but like Gibson Park in the first, he, you know, he had a chance to rectify them and Doki didn't didn't really get a chance to to do that for us. So unfortunately, just a few wee few errors and just a few percent in terms of the intensity and sort of cohesion of the team through loose passes and things, knock-ons, things like that, that Leinster were doing in the first half because of the pressure. So just, you know, swung the game ever so slightly back to Leinster and they, they were good enough to make us pay. Absolutely. And look, uh, we were talking a wee bit before we started recording this today. I was saying there was a bit of a sense of inevitability. I thought that Ulster might lose this one and that's partly i like i i'd be pessimistic i suppose going into games because everything's a bonus then <laughs> so uh but certainly i was like well ulster they've done this before we've been in the driving seat we've been in control of games and we've let things slip so nathan i want to hear from a leinster perspective i think uh, judging from um your reaction to the first half or sort of a wee bit into the first half it seemed like you're fairly downhearted. I know, I know you try and remain neutral these days and enjoy rugby for the sake of the, the game, but uh, did you truly believe Leinster were going to lose that game or did you get the sense they were always going to claw it back? I mean, you've watched them a lot. Uh, you know what their bench is like. I mean, yeah, how downhearted were you or did you did you know that they'd come back? Well, their bench isn't normally that good. They normally, you know... If this was if this was a game in a UFC semi final or a Champions Cup knockout game in six months time or whatever, all those guys are starting, right? The only reason those guys are on the bench is because they need to limit their minutes and mix and match it, like heading into Europe and then Christmas into pros. So that's that's kind of why that was there. 
Um, but yeah, you look at that bench and you go, okay, so what, what's a, what's a lead Ulster need going into the last 20 minutes? Is, is, is 15 enough? Is 10 enough? Is 20 enough? Um, I know I got it wrong. It was, it was 22-10 at halftime. It was 22-3 just before halftime. So, you know, is a nine, if, it, if it was 19 points at halftime, you'd probably look at that going, if they didn't concede that try to Kelleher in the corner with the clock in the red, um, you probably look at that going, yeah, Ulster probably have enough here. They're, they're dominating. They... You know, they're, they're really clinical. I thought Ulster didn't actually create a lot in the first half, but I didn't think they needed to. Leinster just gave them entry point after entry point. The red card, they get a kick to the corner and score immediately. Five minutes later, there's a high, or whatever it was, high tackle from Ross Byrne. They kick to the corner. Okay, they don't get the mall, but then Treadwell goes over. Um, and then Leinster are attacking. We mentioned earlier, McCluskey gets the rip. They go wide to McElroy. Leinster have taken off a winger because the red card and they've got to coast home to the corner. So Ulster had three opportunities in the first half and they took all three. So they're ruthlessly efficient. So with that efficiency and the fact that Leinster were chasing the game with 14 men, I thought, well, they only need one more chance after halftime to kill the game off. And I thought they would. Um, but I think that last score where Leinster got their attack right, they held onto the ball, their skills were better. Gibson Park's delivery was much better and his tempo was cutting holes into Ulster and he was picking options. Then they get a penalty and go to the corner and score. I just thought, right, well, if Leinster get two or three more of those without making mistakes in the second half, they can make it close. Did I think they'd go on and win by whatever the final margin was and score five tries? No. Um, but you just did think that with Leinster's ability to dominate possession against any team, uh, let alone in the URC, um, and the fact that they did have those guys to come on and just add a bit more impact, which Ulster didn't. Like, calling, you know, you look at the two benches and you talk. You, I, love, I love the phrase you used earlier, Peter, the, the imposing their game on, on imposing themselves on the game. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's always been the consistent thing we kind of come back to with some of Ulster's bigger performers compared to maybe someone like a Leinster. Like, you know, who's playing that Caelan Doris role and just carrying like an absolute dog and getting over the game on every single time? Who's playing the Andrew Porter role of carrying and then break down turnovers? Um, you probably look at someone like Vermeulen for that, but he was probably a bit quiet coming off the bench. Um, and I think once again, you know, that's we've always said that's the difference between these two sides, and it definitely was tonight, uh, last night rather. Um, just that ability to impose yourselves. I mean, you know, we talked about it during the week with with McCluskey and why did why did Ireland go with Aki for the last half an hour against Australia? Because there's there's a, that dog, that desire to come in and just completely own a game. Um, and Ulster needed someone to do that last night, just probably just for 10 minutes and kill the game off at the start of the second half. And, and they had nobody to do it. So yeah. I've always thought that would be a factor. Uh, did I think it would be as emphatic as it was? No. But I did think once Leinster got that try in the second half and their attack looked better and their skills looked better, they definitely clawed their way back into it. Whether they'd win by, by 15 or whatever it was, I didn't think that. Yeah. Well, I, I suppose um, we were hoping the likes of every Mullen would come, come in, maybe give that of stability but I, I mean there are a couple of times he just didn't impose himself on the game that much it's not down to him but I'm just using him as an example of a guy on the bench an experienced guy uh, to come on um, take control of the game and we'll talk about individual performances uh, in, a, in a wee minute here but I, I get frustrated sometimes with Ulster we've seen it time and time again um, we we beat uh, we beat weaker teams resoundingly. We work our way up the up the table, and, and look, we've done well this season. Like we're sit, we were sitting second um, in the in the league, but it's whenever we get to well, number one, the business end of the season, which will come later on. Big games like this, um, which are which are vital to win, and this would have propelled us up um, and and closed the gap with, with Leinster, but. Why do you think Ulster find it so difficult to finish big games like this strongly? Is there some sort of mental block there when it comes to getting the job done when it really matters? Yeah, I mean, 
yes if we knew we'd we'd, we'd be uh we'd be coaches wouldn't we we'd be in we'd be we'd be in the setup ourselves it's it's really tough to sort of put your finger on exactly why but i mean the kind of the most obvious answer is probably the right one right so it's probably just the abundance of quality that opposition teams have that we don't like nathan was saying there when you're able to bring on an all-ireland starting front row potentially uh, you know you could you could talk about it like a lions front row you could see them all playing you know british and irish lions in a couple of years and like that's just quality off the bench and we always know we always hear about how it's you know 23 man game then you know we're bringing we're bringing guys like you know in all fairness to them they're good players but players like you know callum reed maddie ray those guys really going to come on and like take it by a scruff of the neck like andrew porter comes on makes two big massive turnovers Kaelin doris comes on and just plays out of his skin you know takes a ball flat goes for it he almost makes it himself and we you know we yeah we just we just struggle with without that kind of quality so it kind of happened uh, a little bit last season where if we keep all our best players on the pitch then by the time it gets to 70 75 minutes they're absolutely on their knees and they have to be taken off and you know that's where we had a little bit of a problem last season where it was like oh we don't trust the bench enough we're not trusting the squad enough to get the job done which to be fair he used the bench last night and it just wasn't enough but i think um what we are missing is is probably like and sort of the sort of outstanding nine or ten in that sort of um, middle part of the second half to just control the game and just get the guys ticking a bit you know closer to where we need them to be um and, and we just we just didn't have that in the last sort of 20 minutes because i think after 20 minutes to go at the 60 minute mark it's about a two-point lead for um for leinster at the time so you know there's still there's still plenty of time for us to get back into it but two late scores and you know game's done and dusted so it's just um yeah it's just really frustrating i don't i don't know exactly what what it is that we're kind of um missing in terms of that last kind of 20 minutes perhaps it's a bit of leadership um losing handy may have may have impacted on that as well but um yeah if i yeah. If, I, if i if i find out i'll let you know <laughs> <laughs> cheers we'll pass it on to dan mcfarland anyway <laughs> and dan we trust in fairness i think dan mcfarland's a great coach he's big into the psychology of the game i thought for a while there was a mental block they got a sports psychologist in full-time one to work at ulster that was one of the things that surprised me over the years they didn't actually have a sports psychologist which uh, as a fan of football, um, I know that every premiership club uh, and indeed every championship club probably has an in-house sports psychologist. And I thought, what like it's such an important part of the game. Um, now, I don't think it was a mental block last night. I think there was uh, it was, a, it was an unbelievable Leinster bench came on. I don't think it, uh, the best sports psychologist in the world would have would have changed <laughs> the fact that uh, Porter came on and. Uh, Shane came on and and uh, to Furlong as well as Food came on briefly. Um, I mean that's just a lot to contend with. And um, I want to talk a wee bit about now the positives from Leinster. Uh, it pains me to do that, but Nathan, what were the main positives to take away from that Leinster performance? It's game of two halves, obviously. Yeah, well, the, the, the world class players that they have in that pack are, are that. <laughs> uh, they are world class, and they can come on and. And, and change games, which is good. You know, it's it's a role that perhaps they haven't had to do before because they've been so used to starting for Ireland over the last few weeks. And then then obviously they start for Leinster in the big games. So 
you know, it's, it's it's an interesting one to think about. Are they are they going to go into a European game next week and say, "Ah, oh, lads, we'll put Kaelin Doris on the bench as an impact sub"? No, they're not going to do that. But you know, it's whenever they get the interpros and they need to mix and match the, the teams because of because the Irish players are limited in terms of their minutes. That, that option is there, and that's that's good to know. Um, but their ability to problem solve. I mean, uh, Jack mentioned Gibson Park in the first half. Gibson Park's first thirty five minutes was as bad as I've seen him play. Um, yeah, his, slow, his service was slow. He was dropping balls behind rocks. He was, he, I think, the one point he, he he got kicked by Ryan Baird at the back of the rock, just like he's just clumsy. He lost possession. Um, and uh, it, it seemed like for a hell of a lot of Leinster's um inability to get to put phase play together, he was responsible for that. And you know, he problem solved instantly. He showed he's a, he's the quality player that he is, and probably is the best nine in the country with the way he he adjusted. Um. Um, I thought Leinster's kicking game was really good. They kept the ball in field a lot. I think they recognised that Ulster's lineup and Maul was was probably on a par to theirs, given given Leinster had James Ryan and Ryan Baird in there, but that they just didn't necessarily. James Ryan had a poor lineup showing in the first ten minutes. He dropped two balls in ten minutes under pressure from Anderson and O'Connor. So I think they recognised there that let's keep the ball in field and, and not give Ulster that platform. And they kicked to the post a lot, and they found a lot of grass in Ulster's 22 with their kicking game, even when they were playing poorly. So again, just little clever things like that worked out um, quite well for them. Um, and yeah, and I think I think Jamie Osborne at 12 had a decent game. Uh, I thought a little bit disconnected early on, but then he makes that makes that line break late in the second half that kind of sparks things, and he actually nearly could have given a scoring pass. And then you know he linked up with Gibson Park down the blind side one, so he showed he's got something about him as well. So they're not completely reliant on Henshaw, and then. Charlie Nata, who had a shoulder injury. Um, so there was there was enough there. I mean, look, the first thirty five minutes were poor, and anytime you you get a red card that early in a game, you're gonna be you're gonna be struggling, and maybe Leinster just panicked a little bit because of that. Um, so I'd say that's probably fixable the first half, half an hour. But um, yeah, lot lot positives. Anytime you you, you win an interpro that by that much, um, and with that dominant forty minute performance, you're that they, they will be delighted with that. Yeah, and. Um- as I said earlier, it was a game of two halves. Ulster did have that period of early dominance. So, Jack, tell us about some of the positives that we can take away. Let's keep things positive from an Ulster perspective. Yeah, well, there are. I think there are lots of um, lots of positives to take from performance. You know, here and there, and spits and spits and spats. But um, first half, especially, was excellent. We, I think, we had almost. Was it about 40, 42, 43% of the ball in that first half? So um, Nathan made a point earlier about us being clinical in that first half. Absolutely were. Like we went after the um went after Line Out Mall, you know, we pressured Gibson Park, we pressured um basically anyone who had the ball. Like uh, Ulster lads were just like flies, just all over them. Loads and loads of pressure, loads of line speed and defense, forces the error, get a penalty, down, you know, score quickly. Get you know got got some scores, and and that was a that was an all round you know team performance in that in that first half you know um, I thought thought the mall was 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 excellent because actually if we go back to the game in um, was it October or September but um, if we go back to that game they absolutely nullified that and if you look at some of the malls I found it interesting because it was the first time that they've um they've had uh, James Ryan and Jason Jenkins swap like four and five. So they 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 changed something around. I don't know if that was deliberate or not, or if it was just you know team sheet stuff. But every time I saw Jason Jenkins, he was at the edge, he was at the side of the mall, and he wasn't coming in directly from behind, which is what he was doing in the in the game up in Ravenhill. And because he's such a massive human being, when he hits that mall, he he just shuts it down 
you know, straight away, and then also have to do that secondary shove, which they just couldn't get into in the game at uh, at Kingspan. But at here, we just had a little bit more um, variation with with the mall. Maybe just something where you you know you shift it slightly to 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 sort of move Leinster off balance. You get the shove, and then and then you're into the you're into your phase play, and and you get you get a couple of scores, and um, and that was really really good. Um, I mean, John Cooney controlled the controlled the game at nine pretty well, but he kicked really well um, in the first half. Perhaps not so well in the second half. Um, and just players looking players looking confident and looking looking in control and, and just, you know, executing basic skills like the two-on-one Stuart Moore to uh, Ethan McElroy, you know, simple stuff, but it comes from the pressure from the midfield, the pressure from, you know, at, at rock time and stuff like that. So they did that stuff really, really well in the uh, first half. And then it was a just reversal that Leinster did that to us in the second half, uh, forced the errors that ultimately um, won them the game and, and, and we lost it. That's it. So uh, I suppose um, with some of the comments I saw after the game, uh, they tend to stay away from forums unless it's on the Red Hand Facebook page. It's a very uh, well-informed, spirited debate on there, but other ones uh, <laughs> uh, that, that I've looked at. I mean, slagging off Ulster, uh, saying how bad they were, and equally some people saying, uh, oh, they give it a good lash and we've had them on the ropes for a while. I actually don't agree with either of those things, I think. There's a mentality that we need to shake off, and it's that oh, let's give it a lash. Do you know that's not good enough anymore? Like we have an unbelievable squad. Like I wouldn't care if this wasn't the good Ulster team or squad, but we have a number of class players in there. Um, and one of the things do you know that we we talk about is did Ulster throw this game away, or was it Leinster that hit another gear uh, and just left Ulster powerless to resist them? And uh, I think. I mean, there's probably like any anything like this. The, the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. Uh, and I think Ulster, um, uh, there were certain decisions, and we'll come to individual talking points. Um, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, 14 man Leinster from an early stage in the game was 21 minutes. So you've got um, you've got the majority of the game still to play. How you can't <laughs> seal off. The game against a 14-man Leinster and actually then reduce your team to 13 men. Usually, I mean, usually yellow cards come as a result of, of pressure and um you're under the cosh and you end up giving away stupid mistakes or making errors in judgment. But look, whenever the stars align like that, uh, as I said at the beginning, it's so rarely will you get an opportunity in Dublin to um uh, to to take your chance to to win, um, and, and I'm just gutted that we, we didn't take advantage. In terms of stats, uh, Leinster, <clears throat> as I say, game of two halves, but uh, overall Leinster did dominate in terms of territory and possession. Uh, they were ruthless. They came away um, with, uh, you know, uh, having been very clinical in Ulster's 22. Ulster ultimately conceded too many turnovers. There were 12 of those, apparently 19 missed tackles. We talked about this last week. That isn't, that can't be accurate. Uh, as Ross last week pointed out, a lot of those guys rushing up and maybe not completing the tackle or maybe dropping off the tackle that someone else makes. But regardless, there were too many missed tackles and there were too, too many turnovers. So I want to talk a wee bit about individual performances now. So, 
Nathan, what Leinster players really stood out to you last night as having had a particularly good game? Well, we've mentioned quite a lot already, so let's avoid going through the obvious ones. Uh, Dan Sheehan was excellent off the bench, didn't get the plaudits that Porter got, but even just a couple of things, like there was a moment in the in the Ulster 22 off a line at Mall. Ulster's Mall's D is really good, Leinster are shunted towards the mm-hmm. touchline, Sheehan still peels off and beats three men, and it's all, and gets within five metres of the line, so all of Ulster's good Mall defensive work is completely undone by one carry. He could just do that, he didn't have his... This the quality of game that he's had for Ireland in the autumn internationals recently, but just there were moments like that that kind of just kept Leinster's momentum going. Um, you know, we mentioned Gibson Park improved. I thought Ross Brown was actually quite good when he when he. I want to introduce the Red Hand listeners to a fantastic business who support the podcast. Hill Fitness is Northern Ireland's leading home gym equipment provider. Whether you're a total beginner buying your first weight set or a strength training veteran creating your dream home gym, Hill Fitness have you covered. From dumbbells to squat racks, gym flooring to exercise bikes, Hill Fitness have everything you need and more. The Red Hand listeners can receive an exclusive discount of 5% off their first order in-store or online. Just use code RED5, all caps, at the checkout. Check them out at hillfitnessuk.co.uk. That's discount code RED5, all capitals, for 5% off your first order at hillfitnessuk.co.uk. Hill Fitness make amazing home gyms happen. The Red Hand is proudly partnered with Shredded Juice Bar, a fantastic local business based on Belfast's bustling Lisburn Road. Shredded Juice Bar stocks a range of fresh, healthy, wholesome and delicious foods and drinks. Fresh juices, smoothies, SIE bowls, protein pots, overnight oats, protein balls, salads and wraps. You can tailor our menu to your needs. Everything is served just the way you like it. We're all about feel-good food. Come and give us a try. We know you'll love it. We're open seven days a week. That shredded juice bar on the Lisburn Road in Belfast. We look forward to seeing you soon. He got chances to attack in his forwards and nine wasn't dropping the ball. I thought his, his delivery was actually quite good. Uh, Gary Ringrose was world class last night. The whatever about those two finishes were unbelievable. The footwork and the awareness when you've got that pressure coming up in your face to be able to beat two or three men on which each occasion with the same big right foot step. Obviously, it you know it, it had big consequences for James Hume uh, that that step. But even it's still just defensively, he's everywhere. He's popping up on the wall on the wing, down blindside channels. He's just he's he's a very very good player and. I thought he actually dealt with the referee quite well. He's very, he was, he's a lot calmer than Sexton, obviously, as a captain. Um, there was one point, actually, Christoph Ridley told him to go away. I actually thought it was very unnecessary. He said, uh, you can't keep coming up to me after every try. And it's like, well, if the captain can't talk to you during breaks and play calmly, when can he talk to you? So I thought, actually, I'm, I'm sure we're going to get onto this, but I thought Ridley actually lost control of that game quite quite a lot, significantly, and he got flustered. Uh, but, but Ringrose was fantastic as well. Um Keenan, his he was the highest uh, meter gain meters gained as an individual on either side. His second half the carrying was excellent. Um, you know he had a bit of a rough day in terms of us well, kicking game was quite good and put pressure on him. But by and large, in a two man backfield with James Lowe was not the best in the air. 
Uh, he dealt with it enough that Ulster couldn't get a second half platform in Leicester's half, and then his, his counter attacking was, was was excellent. Uh, there was one break off a quick line out, I remember, uh, from midfield that he ran into Ulster's 22 almost. So, yeah, I think, mm. well, you can say almost any Leicester player in the second half, but but, but those guys, those three away from the, the obvious bench performers were, were who stood out to me, I think. Yeah, t- take your pick of those guys. Um uh, there, there are a lot of excellent individual performances from Leinster. Equally from Ulster, again, look, in this podcast, we stay positive and we give credit where credit's due. So, Jack, what Ulster players uh, stood out to you? What individual performances were you impressed with? Yeah, it's kind of tough to to pick out kind of individual guys when when we lose so, uh, so dramatically. But um, I guess for the first half, most of the... Um, most of the pack played played excellently. I think I think Kira Treadwell is a guy who's 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 really uh, getting himself into a really good bit of form. Obviously, um, coming into the Ireland camp has really kind of raised, raised his confidence and raised his um, level of performance. Um, Rob Herring played from you know the 20, 20 minute mark and he was excellent. Thought he he kept playing with the sort of a good level of intensity throughout the whole game. John Cooney played really well for the forty. Four minutes that he uh, played until he got knocked out. Um, got assaulted but, by James Lou. But we'll come on. Yes, now. indeed. You know, <laughs> should be thrown in prison. Who was the, who was the guy who said that? He should be that should be a criminal charge. <laughs> but uh, but no. Um, but no. Kenny Kenny played well. I thought for having a bit of an injury, Billy Burns was pretty pretty good. Um, I thought I thought he you know he still had a bit of an ankle injury I think and um, uh, played very well. Stu McCluskey. Marty Moore, they all played pretty well, kind of what you expect from them. Um, but they just didn't have the same kind of oomph that, you know, we, we maybe would have wanted. And I think um, that just comes from the whole team performance. So you can't just rely on one or two. You've got to have everyone um, singing on the same hymn sheet, which is, um, we, were just, we were just a wee bit off there. Um, but there were a few good ones. I'm, I'm glad to see, you know, Jacob came on in the second half, just the last 10 minutes and actually showed a good bit of... Um, physicality stepping off the right right ankle which is a, a which is a good um a good sign for us uh, as Ulster supporters that, that that ankle seems to be okay now but uh yeah came on took a took a took a cross field kick and, and was good but um uh yeah other than that that's that's probably that's probably the lot yeah no I, I think um some of those guys you mentioned um well, we'll start by t- t- talking very quickly about the, the actual selection for this uh, game was quite interesting. There a few different talking points. I thought Tom Stewart favoured ahead of Rob Herring. Now, R- Rob Herring has, has been away and th- th- there's certain players they're trying to rest, which will play a role um, in all of these decisions. But um, Tom Stewart put in, thought Tom Stewart did very well. He made an excellent break before um, getting uh, uh, head-butted by Keane Healy. Um, uh uh, Ian Henderson as well, starting at six, which I mean, I've been con for that for a long time. Now, I'm not saying that pressure has directly affected Dan McFarland's. Uh, That's <laughs> all you, Peter. That's all you, <laughs> uh, but no, I think it was just uh, you, you just want to see players experimented with, and and uh, Henderson's such a, a force, um, that I was excited to see him maybe freed up a wee bit at six. Um, I, I think he maybe didn't carry as much as I expected him to. I thought uh, Hendo's one of these guys, he's um, deceptively very powerful. He doesn't look like a, sort of an Etzebeth or a, a sort of 
James Haskell sort of beefcake, but he's very powerful sort of um, uh, carrier of the ball. I, I didn't see uh, enough of, enough of that as far as I'm concerned. Um, he was quite good defensively, and uh, uh, you know Hendo has such a huge impact. We talked about that last week, um, but um, I wonder will they continue with that experiment? Uh, I, I, I think they probably won't be allowed, you know, from an Ireland perspective, Hendo will have to uh, slot back in at second row. But it did facilitate Treadwell starting. It's very hard to leave Treadwell out these days, given how well he's played. Um, well, Marcus, the one thing I would say is that Hendo's not going to play next week. He failed the HIA, so he's going to oh, be stood down. He, he's going to be stood down for 12 days. So <laughs> that, that conversation is going to be, uh, which is actually quite worrying for Ulster, going away to quite a big sale side, big physical yeah. sale side. Cooney's probably going to have to be stood down for 12 days. Stewart didn't yeah. come back. Stewart didn't come back after the mm. head collision with Healy. That's probably 12 day stand down. Henderson, we don't we don't know for sure. There's no announcement, but it looked like he failed his HIA. There's a 12 day stand down. Uh, there was one more. I can't remember who else it was, but like obviously those are three fairly big impact players for, yeah. for Ulster that are missing next week. I mean, which is, you know, the other thing to consider from all this, as bad as the result was, yeah. you know, there's three three very good players and there was a fourth. I can't remember who it was now. It'll come to me. Well, but... James Hugh might have had a HIA because obviously he yeah, collides he with Ring Roast, doesn't he? Yeah. So he, right. And he didn't come back. Jacob came on for him. So again, you know, Timothy went to the bin, didn't come back. And Hugh went to the bin and didn't come back potentially for... HIAs, Hendy's, yeah, I don't know, I don't know how the how the HIA works, but if you're if you're if you're if you're saying that they, if they fail the yeah the HIA on the field, then that means that they've got to sort of well, they've got to stand down for the twelve days, he, like they say. He, he definitely went off for a HIA. Yeah, you can yeah, 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 yeah. You could hear it on the ref mic, and so if he doesn't, if he's not back, like it's it's yeah, it's you know the, the, all that stuff for HIA one, HIA two. So maybe he passes HIA one, but. They didn't want to risk it, and he'll or and he'll fail his HIA too, which means he might be able to come back. Like remember Sexton yeah. during the New Zealand series, there was something weird about that. But you know, if mm-hmm. those three lads have all had head contacts and don't come back, you know, there's oh. a very decent chance that they're missing for at least twelve days. Massive, yeah. absolutely massive. But you know, I, I, and right enough, I, I, I've forgotten about Hendo's injury. So if if they are missing him, he is so influential. I, I enjoyed sort of seeing him experimented with at six but, but we just need him in the team uh, against the best opposition you need him to do back um, so that will be that will be tough uh, in terms of the key talking points uh, there's a few different ones there I think there's a couple of controversial ones can we all agree about Kane Healy's red card it's fair enough uh, headbutt the Tom Stewart headbutt sounds like he's gone up and none of them like outside a nightclub it was just a high ta- high tackle do you know uh not a high it's a poor technique, isn't it? Really? Poor technique. Just, um, just that's it, yeah. I think, uh, I, I think it's fair enough uh, anyway. Uh, um, the, the other one was um, James Lowe's forearm to Cooney's head. It's knocked him out. Uh, I think it did knock him out. I mean, I saw him. Do you know the way so, sometimes when people go down and Cooney's head was slightly, do you know, um, he, he was sort of lying on the ground in the days. Whatever, whatever's happening is serious, do you know? And, oh, yeah. Um, I want to get your view on that. Was that a, a red? Didn't really get looked at. We are talking about this before the, the recording, but um, I want to hear your guys' opinions on it. Nathan, do you want to jump in? Or? Yeah, go on. Because I, I, I think we've, like you said, we talked about this earlier. So I know uh, I know the, the, you guys' opinions. Uh, look, I think um, we weren't shown us uh, on replays enough to get a definitive view would be my view of it. I think I've definitely seen those given as red cards. Um, 
I think at the stage and at that stage of the game and the impact that Lowe had defensively, look, there's a serious conversation to be had if, if that if he does go off, does he change the game? Uh, I'm thinking of the two massive shots he put in, one that puts uh, uh, Stu Moore into touch, then Leicester go quickly and Keenan breaks, and then eventually Leicester in the yeah. 22. Yeah. And then there was another one where he put Ethan McElroy on his ass, absolutely destroyed, and that shut down an Ulster attack. So look, yeah. those are two big moments in the game, and should he be there to make those moments? Uh, for the record, I still think if Leicester get the entry point that they do, even with 13, with that pack, I think they still make it close if if Ulster don't control the game. But it's a lot easier to control the game against thirteen men. That's that part. I, I I don't think it was as critical to the game as people might say it was, but equally it could have been. Um, in terms of the incident itself, depends on the angle. This I've seen two angles of this, and it's grainy TV footage on Twitter. None of the television companies have uploaded clips of this. Frustratingly, um, the angle from behind on the slow mo, there's a little bit of separation from the elbow. Uh, to the body, I think it's important to clarify the rule here. You're allowed to make contact so long as the arm is close to the body is the wording of the law. Uh, if you move it out away from the body, the forearm before that, then you're opening yourself up to trouble. One angle suggests that he does do that, and the sideline angle would suggest that he doesn't. So it's, again, I don't know if anyone watched the World Cup the other night with the Japan goal. It depends what angle you're looking at, whether the ball's in or out, is the forearm away from the body or not away mm-hmm. from the body. And, and, and that's why they didn't spend enough time to look at it. We both, we, you know, we're all said the Keen Heaty one was clear cut, but he spent five minutes looking at it. Uh, the Hume one is on our list. That was also pretty clear cut, clear cut, head on head, but there was a mitigation. Yeah. They spent plenty of time looking at that, but didn't look at this really. It was just while the water was on, uh, Ridley had a bit of a look on the screen and said, oh yeah, you know, that's fine. The, the, the arm is, and he probably was shown the second angle that I'm talking about, the one where it does look close to the body. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know if he did see, I don't know if he did see the first one where it looks like it isn't. Um, so I think we need to see more angles uh, in, and they didn't look spend enough time looking at it would be would be my uh, opinion of it. And equally, you know, wouldn't be surprised with either decision, I think, based on what we saw, because it, it was so marginal. Yeah, I think it's it's like the, you know, if, if we apply the same framework of the Hume yellow card and the Healy red card, is it, you know, they always talk about, you know, let's get let's get the facts straight. You know, is there direct contact to the head or neck area, as they sometimes put it? Yes. Is it with a high degree of force? Yes. Is it a high degree of danger? Yes. Because like you said, Peter, he is he is knocked out. And I think he is knocked out before he even hits the ground, because as soon as he hits him, Cooney just falls off him. It is a, it's a poor tackle. He's 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 high, but he's not he's not too high where he's just sort of chin up, kind of half expecting it. He kind of tucks his tucks his head to make a legal tackle, and there's a li- there's a tiny bit of separation, and then the action afterwards where he kind of you know he pushes him off. You can see then when he pushes him off, Cooney's not even trying to wrap his arms are up, and he's he's falling back. And I and I I initially thought, oh, Lowe's just body slammed him. He's just sort of like slammed in with his chest, and Cooney's knocked his head on the ground, and maybe that's when he got the the sort of head knock, but. When I watched it back, I was thinking that that looks that looks quite bad. And it happened to Cooney before. It happened to Cooney in the in a in a game against uh, Leicester um, when when Nandolo just had a massive. You know, he's got pretty pretty big arms anyway, and he and he just clips Cooney's Cooney's chin, but knocks him clean out. So we're talking about player safety, and you know if you think about it, you know I, I know Stewart goes off because he's you know he's busted his head open, but. We're talking about someone being knocked out clean in a in a rugby match. So we're talking about player safety. Are we are we really serious about that? I mean, we're we're not we're not ref in the outcome. I know that, but the action 
the action is 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 direct sort of contact to to the head so whether that needs more discussion whether or not low will be cited i don't think he will i think they'll probably just say you know ridley had a look at it and he was happy it was close enough to the to the body and they might just go you know move on from there but i think it's, but, it's, it's it needs discussion doesn't it but you you say you say that they don't ref the out, outcome they actually do a little bit more now because if he, if low does get cited the length of his ban will be factored into how the result because i don't know if you've ever seen they could world rugby kind of produce yeah. these like these graphics now that kind of show the mitigation for bans and like the you know if you get your ban reduced like they had one for the dupont one the other day when he got sent off and they have mm-hmm. like a little boxes ticked and it's like remorseful admits wrongdoing blah blah blah. but then for the entry points they go high day high danger uh force and then player, player injured, injured. And the tick beside that so that it that does i don't know if it comes i think you're right i don't think it comes into the referee decision but it does come into the bat so that's an interesting one to keep an eye on um yeah. I think I, I think Christoph Ridley, the referee, would say he he did go through the same checklist that he did. Uh, he he in his mind he he would say that he he just would say that none of that matters once the arm is not separated, which is according yeah. to the law is correct. That is which the is right fine. interpretation. Yeah, but I think you could argue it's, whether the arm you could argue with the arm, but that that's that's the thing you could argue whether the arm was separated or not. A little bit. But yeah, I don't I don't yeah I think you know there was a split second where it was separated whether it comes back or not i don't know we did like i said didn't see the angle i wouldn't be surprised either way and yeah. if i was an ulster fan i would certainly be angry that he didn't spend enough time at making that call rather than the the checklist because like we said the checklist is 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 irrelevant after that um mm. for all cooney i mean the, the one thing to say here is and it's not necessarily cooney's fault here but you know if, if he's in that position and there's a head-on-head collision all of a sudden it's a completely different conversation and even though cooney's knocked out he's the one who's going off um so like you talked about tackle technique there uh and keen Ely's tackle technique was awful and i didn't i didn't know the nandolos incident i i didn't see that one but if that's a cooney tackle technique issue there then yeah okay he shouldn't 100 percent. he shouldn't be getting elbowed in the face by james lowe if there was separation and that that's illegal uh but poor old john cooney's probably got to look at his technique as well um but that said obviously it's nowhere near his fault that he's gotten injured at all um but it's yeah. just yeah, yeah, if, yeah. It's a, if, it, if it's a recurring thing for him that he gets into those situations is well is too recurring i don't know but uh it's 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 worth looking at as well but that that's a, that's a separate issue i mean no could easily be in trouble for that i think uh personally yeah. for what it's worth I, I thought the separation was a little bit iffy well that's it uh, these rules are designed to be ambiguous and it, it, it allows room for interpretation so uh the eye test is very often important does it look dangerous does it look deliberate does it look like he's led with his forearm I've watched it a number of times uh, in slow motion. Everything looks far worse in slow motion, and it looks bad, both in terms of Cooney's tackle technique, um, but also uh, the, the way that uh, Lou approaches the tackle. There, there is that catch-all rule, you know, about dangerous play, and it's it's one of these great rules where it's <laughs> uh, you can forgo the, the the intricacies or the technicalities, and if it's anything resembling dangerous play. Um, then mm. it can result in a card. And uh, you, one of one of the um, provisions in there is striking or anything which is approaching striking. Now, he, he hits him and, as you say, and he sort of pushes him away after the initial impact. At the end of the day, what's what's he to do? Do you know, it's legal It's legal to do that. It's legal to run into someone you just can't leave with your forearm. And it is open. Mm. To, it's, it's not as black and white as people will inevitably make out here. Uh, Ulster fans will say it was a red. Leicester fans will most likely say it wasn't. But I, I, I think um, 
player safety has to. I think I think he should have looked at it more, uh, the referee, and I think it would, it would have been a card. And Lou, Lou had such a big impact in, in that game that it could have made a difference. There was just not to go on too much about referee decisions, um, but just very briefly, um, James Hume's yellow for his clash of heads with the ring rules. And another one which I suppose could have gone either way. Uh, mitigated down because of a sudden change in direction. Just very briefly, your guys' thoughts on that one. Was that fair enough uh, on the balance? Yeah, right, right decision. He's been done completely by the step. Uh, he's, go- he's going in way too upright and wait and flying at speed, but he's, players do that when they're on their own line, desperately defending. Um, so, you look, Hume's been dangerous there, but equally, uh, we talked about how good Ring Rose's finishes were for those two scores with his right foot step. He's, he's, he's done them, and the law has said change of direction, mitigate down, so Move on, move on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think um, they were saying some some of the commentary was 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 abysmal. It was like, oh, it's quite similar to the Healy one, and it's like it's got it's got absolutely no similarity to the Healy one. You know, there's there's a you know a dynamic center making a making a very quick change of direction, and Hume just gets caught way too yeah. upright, clashes heads. But yeah, mitigation it means with the yellow, he could he could have tucked his head or or uh, yeah made more of an effort to, to to hit him on the chest on chest. But um at this at that at that speed they're going they're absolutely flying like to try and drift across. So Hume Hume knows exactly what what risk he's running when he's doing that. So um yeah he gets a yellow and that's 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 fair enough. Yeah. So I mean in ter- terms of uh, anything else, I, I mean we've already talked a wee bit a, a wee bit about Leinster's bomb squad, those guys coming on, and in particular Andrew Porter coming on. Um just a reflection of, of the strength and depth that Leinster have. But in terms of Ulster's ability to compete, it's it's tricky. We just we don't have the resources, and I've reminded people of this in the past that Leinster this isn't making excuses, but by way of explanation for that. Production line of, of players Leinster have. They have 50% of the playing population in Ireland or approaching that. Uh, they have uh, significant resources and they have a number of uh, schools that basically act. You, you have more insight in this than me, but schools which are, are fairly professional in their setups, which prepare guys for going into that Leinster uh, academy and, and, and progressing then. Um, and uh, I, I suppose. This is a very tricky question, but I'll leave it open to both of you. What do Ulster have to do to catch up with Leinster in that sense? It looks like there's a bit of a gulf at the minute. Um, saying that, I think we could, we could beat them on our day, but I think there's a bit of a gulf in terms of, of um, the overall depth and quality there. Have you guys any thoughts on what Ulster need to do to catch up with Leinster? The million-dollar question. It's tough. I mean, it's it's really i think they're i think they're very i think they're very very close i think i think this was you know for for everything that leinster did well they did it because they put us under huge pressure in that in that second half and just the things that they didn't manage to do in that first half clicked in the second half so i actually think if 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 leinster made a few little few little mistakes here or there in their in their 22 they were incredibly well disciplined in their own and when we got into their 22 they they give us some access, but as soon as they got in there, they they did very little to raise any eyebrows for um Christoph Ridley, the ref. Um and I got no complaints about his kind of performance. I thought I thought he was I thought he was fairly consistent with what he was doing. Obviously a few decisions I sort of disagree with, but um I thought he I thought he played sort of a, a good sort of a good game, ref a good game. And I just think that 
that we're missing maybe just a couple of these younger guys to maybe get more of this kind of experience to, so, you know, to take it on Mikey Lowry, James Hume, who are guys who are going to be with us for, for years to come. They're going to have to, you know, switch on quick if they're going to want to, you know, push into Ireland squads and things like that, which will, which will help as well. But to, yeah, it's, it's, it, they're really not that far away. And I wouldn't be too, too disheartened if, if you're an Ulster supporter, an Ulster fan, this wasn't like a complete capitulation in the second half. I think it was just, you know what, they're fine, fine, fine margins when, when it comes to, you know, playing in the RDS or playing a big knockout game, you're going to get maybe one opportunity to just, you know, snuff the game out. And we just didn't, you know, we just didn't quite click in that second half to just make it, make them pay. Um, so that would be my kind of two cents on that. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's fair. And look, it's a it's a difficult question. What can we do? Game of game of to use some cliches, game of inches, small margins, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <laughs> but uh, Nathan, what, what made? What, I mean, this is a this is a more general question, but it just occurred to me. Do you know what? From your perspective, um, and knowing the Leinster system well and stuff like that, what do you think Ulster need to do to catch up with them? Just very quickly, you mentioned Ridley there. I know it's on the list. We didn't get quickly to it. Just, I know we probably don't have time to discuss it, but was the Nick Timothy yellow card a tackle or a maul? No, we... I thought it might have been a tackle, but anyway, but that's another <laughs> yeah. one. Another, so... another moment. I, I actually would have been, again, as an Ulster fan, I would have been annoyed. But in terms of that, that's a. Look, I, I don't want to get bogged down in referee's decisions. To answer your question, uh, the population thing and the schools thing plays a factor in it. I look, Leicester could just be really lucky with the generation of players they have. But if you look at the guys that they have all in around a certain age, Dan Sheehan, Andrew Porter, Kellen Doris, uh, even like someone like Ryan Baird, who was someone I didn't mention earlier, I thought he was excellent. I think yeah. Uh, yeah. he was when Leicester, when Leicester were poor in that first 20 minutes, he was probably the one forward that was still carrying well. Uh, yeah. He was Agreed. really good under the really good under the high ball. Bizarrely, they, I think they they position they like to position him by the backfield loads, which is not normal for a for a six. Um, but they're all the same age. There's that, there's that crop now. A lot of them went to Michaels, so maybe you have to thank the St. Michaels uh, coaching uh, structure there. Uh, but you look at that, the profile of that player versus the profile of the same player age group that Ulster have right now. And again, it comes down to that issue of dynamic influencing games, desire to get on the ball and dominate. Um, I don't know if that's something you can coach, so I don't want to go down the route of saying there's something in the Leinster Academy that these guys are coached and in a way that they're coached that's better than everyone else's. Um, you look at the results and you can certainly make that argument. Um, you know, I don't know, maybe the schools, Leinster are better coaching in the schools. The, I know the Leinster branch is very heavily involved. I'm, I'm sure the Ulster branch is as well with the likes of um, Methody and Campbell and whoever as well. So I, I don't necessarily think you can say there's that big of a difference between the two um, schools and still schools and academy systems. Uh, Leinster probably are very lucky with the generation of power. But the one thing I would say is that all those guys have now had, what, two years-ish starting regular games for Ireland in really high-intensity games. So they come down to these types of fixtures against an Ulster side who have, you know, players who can impact the game on their day but aren't used to doing it at such a high level that it's easier for them to do so at this level. And it almost comes like a vicious circle. Um, you know, we, we kind of talked about it last week during the week, Peter, about McCluskey again, to use him as an example. You know, he's been dominating URC games for Ulster but kind of came away from Ireland learning that he needs to do more to dominate games for Ireland and probably in big European games for Ulster as well at the back end of the season. Um and, you know, and if that's the high end of what Ulster are producing at the minute in URC games and they're going to a next level and they're being found out a little bit or they're not live not necessarily being found out, but they're not living up to the impact that Leinster can have and bring on of the 24, 25 year old players. I know Stu's a bit older than that. Um, 
that that, that 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 is the quality there. It's that the impact on the game and not so much physicality, but physicality in the right areas and it's a weight of numbers. It's 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 the fact that these guys are playing a hell of a lot of a higher level of rugby than a lot of the Ulster Ulster opposite numbers, um, and therefore it becomes a vicious circle. So how do you address that? I don't know. Again, we'd be paid a lot more money if we knew how to address that. And I don't think coaches anywhere know how to address that. I think a lot of times they just get lucky. Uh, if I was Ulster, I'd be looking at, well, who do we have coming up that can be that player that can influence the game? Um, there's two names that I think of. I think of the number eight, McCann, and I think of it, a Chuku. Those are the two big body dynamic guys that you look at, they're, they're comparable to someone like uh, a Caelan Doris or a Ryan Baird, a kind of big bodied second row six hybrid. Um you know, I think those guys, those guys need to be, I'm Ulster a fan, I'm saying those guys need to be fast-tracked and playing a hell of a lot of really good rugby. Get them into an Ireland setup. I know Izzichuku and McCann both toured emerging Ireland. Get them into Ireland squads and get them playing that type of rugby uh, where they're in that level and then they can come down because I think they look like they have that more naturally maybe than some of the some of the players that are there in the forwards at least. Um, and then with that, you need someone like McCluskey to take what he's learned from November and go, right, you need to dominate at every level, not just at... Uh, carrying into Scarlet's defenders uh, on, on midweek, which which is which is harsh on Stu. He's he's, he's performed against better opposition than that. But... No, but it's a fair point. Like, yeah, yeah. he just doesn't bring it when that uh, you know the big games come. So yeah. I I'd say I'd say he's gotten better at it. I can remember watching him five years ago totally, in, a semi- yeah. in, a, in a semi-final against Henshaw and Henshaw dominating him. I don't think he's dominated in those games anymore. I just don't think he he, he doesn't dominate the way he can. Yeah, uh, but it's not just him. Yeah. It's not. It's not. It's not just him. It's you know we've said a hundred times. Bob Balakou needs to come off his wing and dominate games like James Lowe did last night. Um, you yeah. know this, all those things, and then you get into a wider question of Ulster system. Does Ulster system let those guys do that? And that's a wider philosophical question for another <laughs> day. Um, but I think that that that's where Ulster continually come short. Um, it's a it's a talent and depth thing, and it's also mm-hmm. a, a their bigger players just aren't playing as as intense rugby as as Leinster's players are, and therefore you look at okay, well who can force their way into that level of rugby um, and there are guys on that Ulster team who certainly can but there are also guys who aren't playing on this Ulster team who probably can as well who I would be saying get them in and let's see what they can do yeah no, thank, thanks for that and I, I, I agree with all of that except you forgot to mention the conspiracy against Ulster players um, uh, <laughs> conspiracy that's, 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 that's real isn't it <laughs> We were talking about this during the week, Peter. What was it? You you, you posted an article about John Cooney going to Scotland, and I for the first time I decided to read the comments. And uh, yeah, the the anti Ulster conspiracy is real. Uh, John oh, yeah. Sexton hates all Ulster players as long as he's Ireland's ten. No Ulster player is ever going to play for Ireland. So sorry, that's <laughs> it's not happening. I know, I know. Well, like it's uh, that that is interesting. And again, another for another podcast, uh, Cooney potentially electing to play for Scotland and fair play to him. Uh, Cooney, I won't see him for the next week or so at least. Um, because... He's just trying to bump his numbers up for a new contract. That's all that is. He's just like <laughs> here. Yes, give me the call. give me the big bucks if you want to stay. Like yeah, yeah, we've seen that happen in the past. <laughs> I remember various. Players have threatened to do the same thing, but I think yeah. I think fair, fair enough if he if he, if he goes, uh, and hopefully we can keep him at Ulster, you know, uh, regardless. Well, yeah. But um, oh. for, very briefly, the next two games that Ulster have sail away, and then um, La Rochelle at home in Europe, and then uh, Leinster up against um, Racing, and uh, then Gloucester the week after. So um, I think. Uh, Leinster will obviously go into those games riding high in confidence. Uh, Ulster will have to regroup and uh, uh, and dust themselves down from what was uh, a really good game. Let, let's face it, 
rugby's there for entertainment as good as I was last night it was quite an entertaining game despite the fact that we let it slip you know it was back and forth action we had a bit of hope which at the end of the day it's the hope that kills you um but an enjoyable game and like an enjoyable chat with with you guys today so um thanks for listening and thanks guys for coming on absolutely good crack cheers cheers peter thank you cheers peter Hello the Red Hand listeners, this is Jonathan Moore from SS Moore Sports in Belfast. We're just stopping at the front door of the City Hall onto Chester Street where we've been since 1950. We again, like most other years, carry a full range of the Ulster rugby product. We do hoodies, tees, polos, jackets, gilets, scarves, hats, luggage. We do adults and kids and that can be seen in store or online at ssmsports.co.uk. Hope to see you guys soon and don't forget, shop local. William Carlyle Coaching, helping yo-yo dieters stop living their life on a diet and achieve long-lasting fat loss results. We've helped hundreds of dieters ditch the strict, boring and bland diets whilst losing 15 pounds minimum in 90 days. This is all done with the Fit for Life Transformation Programme. It's the counterintuitive approach to weight loss and will change your life forever. If you want to know more, Grab your phone or pen and paper to write down my social accounts. On Instagram, it's at William Carlyle Coaching. On Facebook, it's just William Carlyle. If you'd be interested in learning more, drop me a message and let's chat.